Welcome to that One Type Podcast. This is the disclaimer. Today I'm running um, solo. So Tisha and Trevor have gotten the day off today and I'm running the show. Um, we're probably not going to talk about anything that you shouldn't do, but if you hear something that you'd like to do, you think it might work for you, that's great. But also make sure before you do those things, talk to your diabetes care professional, whether that's a doctor, nurse, practitioner, PA, whomever is managing your diabetes. Certainly we'd like you to be the captain of your ship, but uh, make sure you talk to the rest of the crew before you go ahead and uh, set sail. So with that being said, again, this is that one type of podcast, a podcast for and about diabetes uh, by people with diabetes. And today I have the great honor to be talking with Paul Pritchard, who is the Diet Godfather. Uh, and he's over in North Wales in the United Kingdom. Uh, so we are really pleased to have him with us, and uh, we're going to have a really good conversation. So we hope you enjoy it. Paul, welcome to that One Type podcast. Hi, Tim. Thanks very much for having me on. I feel very blessed and honored to be able to take part in something that's so important and helps to spread great awareness for all of us with diabetes, especially type 1 diabetes. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you on. I, I've been talking to my team saying, hey, I got to get this guy on. Uh, we got to figure it out because there's a seven hour time difference. Uh, yeah. So and, and I didn't want to inconvenience you with our schedule. So we um, we we decided mornings would be good and then everybody has off. So um, but I wanted to get this done. So I'm, I'm so glad we can make it happen. Um, so as normal with all our guests, we like to start with the origin story. So tell me how, as we say, you got your cape. I've got you got your blue shirt on. Uh, I'm glad to see that, especially in Diabetes Awareness Month. Uh, but how did you earn your cape as it is? Well, um, I guess you're not going to get the short edited version since this is a podcast. Um, right, right. I'll, I'll quickly run, run by the fact that my parents are both Welsh, born in Wales. They emigrated to Canada, where I was born, along with my brother and sister. And the work dried up, and we ended up moving to Seattle, Washington, when I was about eight and lovely life living in the suburbs west seattle beautiful place um not far from puget sound couldn't couldn't ask for a more idyllic place to grow up mm -hmm. and then it all kind of unraveled in 1972 when um we took a really really special holiday for us because we didn't have a lot of money back in those days um and we decided to go to disneyland and so big preparations for the summer. And at the time, I didn't really notice that I was becoming poorly, um, drinking lots more, um, obviously going to the toilet lots more. Sure. But as we know, living up in the Pacific Northwest, even though it rains a lot, it can get very warm in the summer. And so just naturally put it down to the fact that it was a really hot summer and I was drinking a lot of liquids. And one really, I think, good thing for kids now is they get taught to drink water. It's, it's part of culture now to drink water, whereas back in those days, they hadn't invented a single diet drink. So as you can imagine, I was drinking, you know, colas and orange juice, and I was probably making myself a lot worse. Yeah, you're uh, contributing to that cycle, yeah. Yeah, um, so it all came it all came to a head when the first week of August went down to Disneyland, and I pretty much spent the entire week 
learning about all the toilets that were in Disneyland. <laughs> Um, I don't really, I don't really remember much else. I remember my dad shouting at me, saying I was ruining the holiday because I was in the toilet. Right. And um, the day we got back, my mother took me straight to the doctor, who I don't know what he did, but obviously he must have tested my urine. I'm guessing, yeah. and that was it. Immediately take this boy to the hospital where um, I was given my first injection of insulin and I, I can remember about about oh maybe an hour hour and a half after having it i hadn't actually been to the toilet again and i just remember breaking down crying because of the relief that i wasn't going to the toilet every 15 minutes yeah yeah so, and you know that's it's funny that people that don't have diabetes or don't know anybody that does they don't understand we're not exaggerating when we say every 15 minutes we are going to the bathroom and not just a little bit. We are going great yeah. floods of urine every 15 minutes. So yeah. 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 Cool. So then what happened? Well, um, I don't know if any of your listeners will know this, but anyone who's been diagnosed a long time back in those days, the regime was 100% strict. Um, you, you took one injection a day, and that was done by mixing two insulins into one syringe. It had to be done in a certain order because one was a cloudy insulin and one was a clear insulin, and you couldn't get any of the cloudy into the clear. Well, then your clear became cloudy if you got it yeah, into the clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, it was always at the same time every morning as well. So that started a regime that is pretty much lasted my the rest of my entire life because right. you get so used to doing something for a long time that even when you don't have to do it you, you know your body's trained to do it so seven days a week i was up at seven o'clock took my injection and my bless her my mother was a superhero every every single day a a, a prepared cooked breakfast of the exact mm -hmm. same ingredients every single day you know right. year in year out and when I look back at that, I mean, what a superhuman effort that was. And, yeah. um, and then going to school, you'd go with a, with a packed lunch, with a snack for mid-morning, and a snack oh. at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And dinner was always at 5.30 every day. That was it. No, I mean, the regime just became strict. Um, my mother was very aware of sweets, and so... All, all things sweet were taken out of the house. There was none left in the house, which my brother and sister both resented me for. I didn't find this out so many years later when I was talking to my sister. But apparently, yeah, they were very angry that that had been done. Um, and I suppose the only real variation, I would say, over the first 12 years of my diabetic journey was that when I became an adult, I started drinking and I wouldn't have known what my blood sugars were doing because we really couldn't test for them. Not accurately. I know we tested not urine for that. Yeah. That just was not accurate. No, so that, that would be about the only less bad thing that I kind of introduced into my diet. Other than that, um, I'm so used to not eating sweets and still to this day, I'm not really bothered about eating sweet things or desserts or anything like that because i just i've trained myself not to want them and i'd much i'd much rather have a second helping of 
you know, mashed potatoes or right. or pasta or something like that because it's 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 more in my in my mindset. Um, right. Eighty four went to two injections a day, so that gave a tiny tiny bit more flexibility. Right. But it it also brought the first kind of what I would call real mental effect on me because um, up until then I've been injecting once a day and it was always at home first thing in the morning. Well, right, all right. of a sudden, second injection of the day would be, you know, 5.36, that kind of time of the day. Well, mm-hmm. you could be out. So yeah. guess who discovered, well, not guess who discovered, but yeah, guess who discovered toilets again because guess who went <laughs> to all of his injections in toilets because right. I was so ashamed of being diabetic mm-hmm. that um, I didn't want anyone to know. And I, I never told people in work. And there weren't many of my friends at all. Too. And I, unfortunately, that's another thing that stuck with me for very, very, very many years. Um, moving forward to 93, no, no, sorry, 91, I got my first proper blood testing machine okay. that worked. But right, the thing right. is, it's great having it, but it didn't really help you any because all it did was tell, told you a number. You still weren't in charge of making your own decisions right. regarding your actual management or, or you weren't getting to talk with dietitians to change your diet. There was, just, there was nothing going on educationally back then to assist right. the fact that all of a sudden we've got this brand new bit of kit that can tell you exactly what your blood sugars were. So yeah. what it meant what it meant for me was, oh God, my blood sugars are high. I won't eat. <laughs> right. But that was that was the only tool in the arsenal, if that makes sense. Because you hadn't been taught back then and it didn't exist back then for me, was multiple daily injections. Right. They came along they came along in ninety six. I wanted to mention nineteen ninety three and this is just like a like a kind of a a super tip, okay? If your doctor suggests to you when you're, I don't know, in your late 20s or early 30s, maybe as late as 40, that they put you on either a statin or a blood pressure medication, yeah. I would seriously, seriously consider it. I remember when this happened to me, and I said, oh, how, how long will I take them for? A couple of weeks, a few months? No, the rest of your life. It really was like, oh my God, this is real. Right. But they, I think, have been a lifesaver for me because I have sure. never suffered from high blood pressure and I have never suffered from high cholesterol. But okay. those two things were given to me preventative. Right. And statins also, I know they get a bad name in some quarters, but a statin also, in, in addition to lowering cholesterol, also helps protect the kidneys. Um, right from leaking protein into the urine. So, which is one of the precursors to CKD, you know, on a kidney disorder. So I just wanted to throw that in. Right. Am I going on for too long? No, no, you're, you're fine. No, that's a, that's what we're all about. We, we want folks that, you know, haven't, um, you know, haven't experienced life as a diabetic or haven't um, experienced a full life as a diabetic to know, you know, what's out there and, and what other people have experienced and um, the ups and downs and the goods, the bads, uh, because it's, there are good things, 
uh, you know, yeah. uh, and, but we do unfortunately get presented with a lot of, of challenges and bad things too. So um, we want okay. folks to, to know it all. Right. So fast forward now to 96 and I got, I basically went in for one of my appointments with my endocrinologist and my diabetic nurse and they happily handed over to me um, a Lantus and an Rapid pen. Okay. And, and just basically gave them to me and told me what to inject with them and sent me on my way. And so, okay. <laughs> again, again, no education. And right. uh, I, I think, I think, and this, this, this though is where, this is where I made my first sort of actual self management decision because after I've been doing it for probably six months to a year, I started thinking, hang on. I, I actually, wait a minute, I, I don't have a formula for doing this, but I actually could give myself a different amount of insulin because I can test my blood and see right. what it is afterwards. And so yeah. there began, began the process of what I would call actually making my own decisions. And, and, and around that time, late 90s, the internet started to become mm-hmm. an existence Right. And so I went on old Dr. Google and and found out that um, the Germans had invented something called Daphne, dose adjustment for normal eating. Right. And it hadn't actually come to the UK back when I first found out about it, which I think was the year 2000. But um, at that point, guess who starts going in and pestering his endocrinologist? and diabetic nurse every time he sees them. I want to go on a Daphne course. And in 2002, I think they launched the first ones in the UK in Leicestershire. They're like a leading research university in the UK. And I said, send me over there. You know, I'll pay, I'll pay for my account. I'll pay for everything to go do it. Just right. said, well, no, 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 we can't do that. But <laughs> I think my, my pressure de- did influence them quite a bit because they started introducing Daphne courses um, in 2004 in in the area I live in. I was one of the first people to get on one. And, well, you never look back after that because all of a sudden you're you're self-managing and, yeah, you still got your care team there for support if you need them. Yeah. But, um, you you know, uh, if you're confident, you you know what you're doing, arguably – you don't really need your team as much anymore. So, well, and and what what most folks don't um, take into consideration is a lot of the times we know more than the doc we're talking to. Absolutely, yeah, because they get it from a textbook, and yes, they are the specialist, but we're the ones that live with it twenty four seven, and we also know how things affect our body. You know how you manage your diabetes could be totally different than how I manage mine because insulin works differently for each of us and food gets absorbed differently. And um, you know I, I've been impressed with the Daphne courses when I when I first heard about them several years ago. And um, we don't have anything like that here. <laughs> Daphne hasn't crossed the pond. Oh, um, has it not? No, it has not. All right. Yeah, I mean we have we have other programs, but I don't think anything to the caliber of Daphne. Uh, because everybody wants to have the program, you know, yeah. commercial programs, you know, ours is the best. Whereas in the rest of the world, they're concerned about their patients and the, their populations getting healthier. Um, and so whenever I see somebody 
that's enrolled in a Daphne class or wants to be enrolled in a Daphne class. Because I think that's the problem now is you've got backlog of people trying to get in because it's so yeah. popular. Um, but that's the way it's done um, is you, you, you have to learn your self-management. What, what works for your body in conjunction with your provider? You know, you don't want to go off road uh, unless your provider oh, no. is not all that good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, it, with coordination from your provider and mostly that's this is what I'm going to do. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, and usually what in my experience is, okay, try it. Let me know next week <laughs> um, yep. because now it might work for somebody else and they, they can at least bring it up. Um, so that that's cool. I, I really, I've been impressed with the Daphne program from, you know, the folks over there that I know uh, that have attended it. So I'm glad you got the opportunity to, to do that. And I, it's like for us here, well, one of the things I I push is camp for kids. Oh, I would 100% back that, yes. Yeah, I, I went to camp when I was diagnosed, and it was the single most. If I had to say what was the one thing that changed how I, I live as a diabetic, it was camp. Yep. Because at that time, it was a two-week session, and you learned how to manage, you know, how to live a life and make decisions. You know, my parents said – we're not going to be around eventually. Um, we can't make these decisions for you. And it was the best decision they made to send me to camp. Um, and that, that you also, you also got, to, yeah, you also got to meet other type one diabetics. Um, we had about 150. Oh, is so, that all? <laughs> in one session. Wow. Um, I, hope, I, I, hope, I hope they've all remained very close friends. Um, I have a couple. That's so, good. I have a couple. Actually, my first girlfriend was from camp, and she and I are still friends and still in touch. And um, and wow. you know, it's, it's, I, I can't say that I had a lot of friends there, um, but yeah, you know, we, we we did 1,500 in the summer, uh, so wow. it, it was cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, the Daphne is camp for adults, um, and uh, and camp is just essential for kids. Yeah. So so how has um, so are you still doing? Well, you're doing the pump now. So when did you? move into pump and CGM. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, a tiny bit of a backstory on that. Um, I had a really, really, really bad hypo um, at the end of 2001. Um, I was unconscious for about two hours. Uh-huh. And I think fitting as well. I don't know, but I, I'm told I was. And anyway, so my doctor put me off work for eight weeks basically to bring my hyper-awareness back by running my blood sugars higher mm-hmm. on purpose. So obviously right. it's taking less insulin to do that. And he suggested that I possibly would be a good candidate for a pump. Okay. Now, back in 2002, they hadn't invented tubeless pumps. And right. I very much was of the opinion, I didn't really want something attached to my body all the time. And I didn't want a, co- a, a tube hanging out of me that, in my mind, I was going to get tangled up in during the night, choke on, you know, in my sleep. And stuff. I, you know, you, you just imagine all these things. And plus, and here's a key thing, too. I didn't actually understand that there was only one insulin being used in a pump. I was thinking, why the heck would I want to, you know, just put the two insulins into me fast and long, long acting through a pump when I do it with a needle? Because I didn't realize that all your basal requirements were being met by the fast backing insulin. So that's the thing for, you know, education wise. Um, right. Anyway, 
Now we got to really fast forward. So, um, 2000 and I've got, can I change subject slightly? You may. Right. Because you said about the getting onto the pump. Well, how the pump came about was when I started interacting online and that was 2011. Um, I'd had a really, really, really bad time in a job I was in and I was getting more and more and more depressed with work. Uh And in the end, I showed up at my doctor's office and I literally just walked into the office, sat down and started crying. And my wife was with me, fortunately. So she did all the talking and explained all that was going on. And he said, well, I can't help you with mental health support because the waiting list is about three years. Come on. So what I can do, though, is, and he scribbled down a website address, and it was for a small diabetic forum run by a lovely lady that I'm still very much in touch with now. Uh-huh. And that was it. From from day one, all of a sudden, I was talking to type 1 diabetics. I'd never, never spoken or known another type 1 diabetic right. in 39 years. So that changed my life. There was a chat room on, on this, this forum. And so every night there'd be 15 or 20 of us all yapping away about the special language that only us diabetics understand. Yeah. And from that, I joined another forum. That was 2014. This was a lot bigger forum. And I think that it was just the ability to actually be able to help people. That, that, that was the key to it because you, the amount of people that, you know, literally they get diagnosed they get handy equipment and they get kicked out of the hospital with nothing. Right. It, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's shameful. And it, that does go on here in the UK quite a bit. So the fact that you were able to immediately like day one or day two, get people calmed down say, okay, right. Here's some of the things that we can do straight away to get you sorted. And here's the questions you need to go straight back to your nurse now and ask. And right. get her knowing that you know they're not quite doing enough for you yet. So sure. I think that, that was a huge turning point from 2011 to 2014. And things stayed the same until February 2018 when I, by accident, complete accident, um, discovered Instagram and the fact that there's a massive type one community on Instagram. And mm-hmm. I love it. it it's, it's the most I'm not saying everybody's 100% supportive, but the vast majority of people are so supportive and kind and caring and helpful. And again, it's just it's like it's like I've I've got I've got a new family and a new home. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The the diabetes online community is just it's massive. Um, Yeah. And and everywhere you look, we we did um, we did an episode on the diabetes online community um, and and spotlighted several communities online but um you know that's how i started um joining and uh, my mind goes back to bulletin boards so you remember bulletin boards you've been around long enough uh, mine goes back to bulletin boards i don't remember what the it was an alt group so you know that's that's, that's news groups um yeah and um i um ironically so when i was at camp as a nurse um because i went i went through as a camper and then said, I got to go back and do this as a nurse because 
you know, who better to represent at a diabetes camp than a diabetic nurse. Yeah. Um, but there were um, several counselors from the UK that shipped them over. <laughs> uh, There's kind of a counselor exchange program among camps. Yeah. And, um, and there was a, a guy there, a young guy, his early 20s, um, big strapping dude. <laughs> uh, for fun, he, he swam the channel. Uh, that's what he did for fun. Um, um, and um, so I was on this bulletin board and I, I saw a, a gentleman from the UK posting and his name was David. Um, and I thought his name, last name was the same as this counselor. So I contacted him today. Are you this guy? Um, and he, it wasn't. <laughs> um, but he and I developed a, a fast friendship and we had a lot of things in common and um, our wives had things in common, and, and uh, unfortunately, he had a lot of complications. And, uh, but great guy, loved him to death, and, and we lost him a couple of years ago to complications oh, no. of, of diabetes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with bulletin boards, there was, you know, post a message and wait for somebody to read it to write back. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the kids today, they don't understand that you had to wait to get a response. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the DOC, you know, then we moved into Facebook and, I, you know, it just, it, it, it's phenomenal the support that's out there. And if you ask a question, somebody has had that experience and maybe their answer is not the best for you, but somebody's got an answer for you that you can take back to your doc or your nurse and say, I'd like to try this. Or yeah. I saw this and I tried it and it worked. <laughs> yeah, I uh, quite agree. Um, but so that, that was going slightly off track so 2011 to 2014 heavily involved with forums and that was where i discovered ah a pump might not be such a bad idea because there was loads of people posting about getting better control better management more flexibility i, I mean i know pumps aren't for everybody i know that but yeah. but if you have the opportunity to try one I would certainly suggest trying it because they can be a complete game changer. And mm -hmm. for me, that is exactly what it has turned out to be. Uh, I, it, and it also coincides with Freestyle Libra because uh, when that first launched, that was 2014 in the UK, and they weren't funded by our NHS health system. Oh, but I thought this is such a great idea I'm going to pay for them myself right so I did and by the time I was on the pump I'd already been wearing the freestyle lever for about a year so I had a lot of good data on getting my adjustments for my basal rate set on my pump right and now if I'm being honest my mind goes a bit hazy as to the exact timing but Almost as soon as the Meow Meow came out, I was on to that as well because that, I wouldn't say that's been a big game changer for me personally, but it has been an absolute game changer for my wife, who <laughs> is, she's not a great sleeper. And so it's almost like she's always got one eye open worrying about me during the night because in, in the past, before all of this kind of stuff. I, I have had some pretty bad hypos. Um, been taken to hospital a few times. Um, right. Paramedics in attendance quite a few times. So 
with with um, the meow meow attached to the Freestyle Libra, I now have full blown CGM on my smartphone, right. and I set alarms. And so, if my phone alarms at two o'clock in the morning, immediately my wife doesn't have to. You know, the phone's busy going berserk. She, right. It's not like she has to really wake me up, but she just gives me a quick prod. You know, you're low, you're low, Paul, you're going low. You know, it's like obviously we're catching it before I'm too low to right. be, right. So, you know, um, folks listening yep. that aren't familiar with the Mau Mau, tell them what the Mau Mau is. Okay. Actually, what it really is is just a Bluetooth transmitter, and it literally kind of you glue it onto your Libra sensor. So it sits as like an extra bit of kit and it transmits to an, an app that you can put on your phone. And if your iPhone, I believe the app is Spike or, or you can use extra, but I, I believe the main one is Spike. And for me on an Android phone, um, I've got a choice of using either Xtrip, which I do use, or there's an Italian app called Glimp, and okay. then there's also then there's also um, the actual app that Meow Meow put out, and it's called Tomato, the Tomato app. Okay, so I'll, I'll put a link to that. that in the in the show notes. But yeah, I, I when I first saw the Meow Meow, I was like, oh, that is really cool because when Libra came out, it was it was not a CGM. No. It was a, it was a flash meter. Um, and so the Mau Mau made it a true CGM, um, which is, is really, was really nice and, and good because um, you, you, you had to be active in your monitoring of the, of the Libra, whereas the Mau Mau made it passive. And that's for, for somebody like you that has hypoglycemia on awareness, um, you know, or even sleep hypoglycemia, you know, um, not necessarily unaware, you're just asleep, um, yeah. you know, and, and for your wife to hear it and, you know, alert. Yeah, well, she, she sleeps a lot better now. Um, right, right. I'm sure. Yeah. So that that's really cool. Um, so so that's your journey then. Well, yeah. Pretty. I mean, obviously, it's still going on, so it's still here. Yeah. And um, right. I, I I would say that I'm I'm very 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 thankful for all of the changes that have come along. The entire 49 years I've been diabetic, and mm -hmm. they're I think hope, hopefully helping me to continue for a few years more. Um, oh, I, can I, sorry, I want to add one more thing about the diagnosis too. Um, back in 1972, when I was diagnosed, I was very lucky that I went for two full weeks of basically inpatient education at the Virginia Mason Hospital. Right. So they provided all my meals. I showed up every morning at 8.30 and went home at 5.30 and I sat in classes for two weeks. Now it's fantastic, but one of the days wasn't particularly fantastic because I can't remember whether it was a doctor or a nurse basically stood up in front of the whole class and said, um, you really need to do all this because if you don't, you won't last long. But even if you do everything we say, your life expectancy is going to be approximately 30% less than a non-diabetic. Right. And it was very easy to do the math back then because life expectancy for a man back in the early 70s was about 70, 71 years. Right. So doing my math, I was like, oh, hell, I'm going to be gone by the time I'm about, I'm about 50, 
54, maybe right, 55. Right. Yeah. So if you're that, lucky, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that's what I mean. So that was quite a sobering thought to put into the mind of a 14-year-old. So, right, right, yeah. Uh, so you were 14 when you were diagnosed? Yeah. Um, did you have any problems getting a driver's license? No, no, I, um, no, not at all. I, I think I'm trying to, re- if I'm honest, I think they had some sort of medical questionnaire. I'm, I can't, if, I, if I'm honest, I can't really remember. I, I do remember you had to do the eye test. I think everybody has to do the eye yeah. test. Yeah. So I don't recall it. I remember going for my life, first driver's license on my birthday. Right. And I passed the test. So I got my license, you know, the day I turned 16. Right, right. Yeah, they, so, they probably weren't, one, because they didn't understand diabetes. They didn't understand well, no. the impact on an individual driving, which I think actually is a good thing. But, you know, a lot of states, in the United States, a lot of states now have serious restrictions. Like, there are some states that require you to test before you get in the car. Oh, and well, keep the log oh. so that if you're pulled over, you can show the officer. I think that's kind of intrusive. Um, yeah. You know, I understand the rationale behind it, but to mandate that I have to do it and have to present it if I get pulled over, uh, and, and there's oh, penalty if you don't. Yeah, I, no, I mean, to, to be to be fair though, I think that that same system up until very very recently has existed in the UK as well. One hundred percent. You had to prove you tested before you drove and tested every two hours while driving. Oh. If you were going on a long journey every two hours. Right. And it, the thing about proving by writing a long work, you've got the proof because you've done it on your meter. Right. So you actually would have your proof automatically in your meter in theory. Right. So um, I never saw that as being intrusive. I just, that's for the protection of everybody else that's on the road. Right. As and like I said, I understand the rationale behind it. Yeah. I just don't like somebody telling me how to manage my diabetes. Um, <laughs> no. no, I'm not going to drive if I'm unsafe. Yeah. I mean, things have changed. I think maybe a year and a half, two years ago here, they, um, they allowed Freestyle Libre to be used. Nice. You still have to scan before you drive. You sure. still have to scan every two hours, and and then the, the, the kind of the unwritten rule here. I don't know if it's the same. Oh no, hang on. You guys are MGDL, right? Where we're MMOL. So if I'll just do the calculation for you here. So yours doesn't sound as catchy as it does here, because yours would be below ninety, don't drive, whereas ours right. is below five, don't drive. Right. Okay. Well, below five, don't drive. All right. And you know that that's reasonable but yeah. you know there's there's also folks that that's where their control is for whatever reason that's where their line is and they're fine um to to say well you got to you got to bump it up to get in behind the car i don't know I, I understand the rationale but you know it, it's once again people that don't have diabetes telling us how to manage our diabetes <laughs> uh, you know so uh, i yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool that, that you didn't have a problem getting a license. I mean, I uh, when I got my license, I didn't have a problem. My doctor, I, I saw that endocrinologist, and he wrote a letter, said he's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I've never had a problem. I've never 
never had issues while I was driving, never been pulled over because of it, never whatever, never interaction with law for law enforcement because of it. Um, and when I moved to New Mexico, there was a question, you know, do you have a condition? And, you know, honestly, I said yes. But then the woman's like, oh, well, then you have to fill this paperwork out and go to the doctor. And I said, wait, wait, let, let's break this question down. The question says that that has impaired your driving. I said, no, it has never impaired my driving. Yes. Yeah. Answer the question again, then. <laughs> uh, and we moved on. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm into semantics sometimes. Um, and, and it had never impaired my driving. I've never had an issue in 41 years. Um, and I wasn't going to start with that harassment. Um, so, but I have friends here that have lost their licenses because they've had hypos and the state has taken their license away from them. Well, that, uh, that's the exact same here. Um, and, and, it, and I know what you mean about semantics, but, but in a weird way, the, the wording can be important and truly is important because um, the way the form used to be would tempt you as a diabetic to possibly not tell the full truth on right. the form. And, right. and the form used to say, have you had two or more hypoglycemic incidents that required assistance in, okay. in the past three years? Right. which is how often our licenses are valid for when we're diabetic, okay? Right. Now, I, I would argue there's probably not many diabetics that haven't needed, you know, a partner or a friend or somebody to give them assistance in the sense that, you know, if they collapse while they're in a supermarket with their wife and they're, oh, my God, I, I, I may go and get, you know, chocolate bar off the shelf and they whack it down right. their throat that's assistance you know it, it just it is yeah. but so that's when i think a lot of us started lying saying no we haven't even though we really had right. but they've now amended the form to what it really should say have you had the, those incidences happen during the day because for me all of my assisted typos were at night middle of the night i was asleep so right, right. they're completely they're completely different to you know literally nearly being unconscious at 2 30 in the afternoon right right if, you know in a board meeting or something and they bring the paramedics in that, that's completely different to i'm asleep and you know my wife can't stir me to eat properly and so she's sure. kind of trying to you know get poor orange juice down my throat that right that's, so anyway, so I think they have amended it to a point that it, it, it's, it's reasonable now that, you know, if you really are having bad hypos a lot, you shouldn't sure. really be on the road. No, no. And that's what and that's, I think that the, the, the terminology and the phrasing is, is yeah. most important Absolutely. Um, because there, there's no way around that other than to lie. No. And then if you lie, well, then you defrauded the, the state. And, yeah. You know, well, and, and, and potentially your own health and the health of others. Right, exactly. So that that's cool. So um, obviously, you know, you, you've uh, you've had diabetes for a long time, a little bit longer than I have, uh, which is nice to find somebody that has had it longer than I have. Um, and you know, the the general rule of thumb is after ten or fifteen years of diabetes, complications will set in, even if they're just minor complications. So let's um talk about the complications that you have. Okay. Um, 
in 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 chronological order. Um, okay. This is this is so weird because um, another thing with diabetes is that when we go back to those days, I don't think they really necessarily knew that some of the things that happened were connected with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and so my very first thing that happened to me was within six months of being diagnosed. And it used to be my party trick when I was still at school. And it was basically like a trigger finger. Uh-huh. So, so li- literally my middle finger on my left hand, it would, it would, it would roll over and right. it would stick and, and it would make a loud popping sound and I could uh-huh. click it. And that used to be like, you know, great party trick for the girls. Not really. I, this is, that's the lamest thing I've ever said. But, but, but literally that, that used to be a thing. And, and so yeah. it got worse and worse and worse. And by the time I was in my mid twenties and living over here, I went to the doctor and said, God, my, my finger is getting hard. It almost doesn't want to come out when it, so I don't want to make fists because if I do, I can't unclick that finger. Right. And they sent me to the orthopedics. And it turned out I have what's called Dupuytren's contracture. Contracture, yeah. And that is now or recently well known to be connected with type right. 1 diabetes. So yeah. um, I'm not on screen, am I, or am I? No, uh, well, you are, but we're only going to use the audio. Okay, um, right. So, yeah, me showing you my hands won't really count. But, but I mean, if you look closely at my hands, you can see... They don't look great. I've got five scars from five operations on five fingers. Oh, wow. Or, so you've had it in all five fingers? Well, I've no, I've got... At um, one time or another? Or They didn't all happen at the same time. No, these have been just over time. Over so time I've had it. Wow. Yeah. Three on my left, two on my right. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, I've also started experiencing the symptoms, but I've not... At, I've been to the doctor and mentioned it. But for the time being, he said, well, when it starts to get bad, come back and see me. And that's carpal tunnel syndrome. Okay. Okay. And that, that, that more affects like your wrist and, and going down into your fingers. And I get right. numbness and pain there. So I'm getting close to go, but I haven't quite, I haven't quite gone because of COVID. So yeah. that was the first, was Dupuytren's. Um, the second one to come along would have been retinopathy and I first got diagnosed with that uh, in 1990 so that's 18 years after diagnosis and at the time they just said well we'll just see you twice a year and monitor your eyes to see how they're doing we won't we won't do anything and so with that I, I started going to ophthalmology clinic twice a year and that was it. Nothing happened. I just think it said, yep, they're okay. They're okay. They're okay. First time I had laser surgery was in 2002. Okay. And for anyone that hasn't had it, I would say to you, it, it will put a lot of fear into you thinking about what is going to happen. Uh-huh. But in actual fact, it's not actually as bad as it sounds, because I, I can imagine, I, I can remember when I was going in, I thought they were going to make a mistake, and they were basically, they were going to drill through the whole back of my head. And, you know, I basically put, you know, right. because how, how do you know? You know? No one gives you education on things like that. And so it was very, 
it was very reassuring actually to come out after it and find out, oh, that wasn't that bad. Right. Now, I, I know that it can be bad for people if they have very bad proliferative retinopathy and they have to have, well, they, they call them hits. So if they have to have, you know, like a thousand hits in each eye, yeah, then that's not a lot of fun. And I've, I've seen people come out of having that done. And you know, they do look like they're, they're kind of walking dead zombies because, you know, their eyes are kind of like, well, but, but I mean, I just had a, a couple, two, three dozen in each eye. And it, I was only probably in there for 10, 15 minutes and it was yeah. fine. Doesn't so, take long at all. No. no. And then next time I had it was 2012. And again, it wasn't too bad, but they said we can't do any more for, for you because where you're getting the problem is right next to your central vision. Oh. And, it, and it, it was at that point um, they started seeing me more often in ophthalmology. And about six months after that, um, they discovered I had maculopathy. Right. And for, for those that don't know, maculopathy is basically, you could li literally call it like a little bit of a liquid bubble that um, is, is very close to the retina, so to your very central vision. And they can't treat that with laser because it is in your central vision. Yeah. And so lucky me, um, it was around the time that they hadn't long introduced injections right. into the eye. So I was the lucky recipient of some injections into my left eye. And at the time, the drug, um, I can't remember what drug they even used. Uh, uh, no, I can't remember the drug they used. Sorry? Avastin. Avastin, yes, Avastin. It hadn't actually been licensed for use with maculopathy. Apparently it was a cancer drug. It, it but, is a chemo drug, yeah. 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 So, but they used that and I had a, I had a few, I think I had about four or five injections. And after that, um, weirdly, my eyes settled down and didn't get any worse. And now, uh, I know it's it's what, it's seven years later. Um, the maculopathy has completely disappeared. My eyes are back to normal. Oh wow, nice! But I put that down to probably the much better control of being on the phone uh -huh. because my uh, am I am I allowed to talk about time and range and glucose variability? Absolutely, yeah. Right. Well, my time and range is a lot better, and my glucose variability or standard deviation is much lower. Right. So that's my eyes. Um, next, going back now, um, is the old famous frozen shoulder. Right. And I've had frozen shoulder three times in my left shoulder and twice in my right shoulder. Wow. Each time um, lasting anywhere from 12 to 18 months. Oh, my. And they were bad. But again, didn't realize they were a diabetic thing yeah. until the second time I had it. And I actually went to the doctor this time and said, my shoulder's doing the same thing it did about three years ago. And I said, I, I, look, I can't even barely bend, bend it above, no, above halfway up. Uh, and he literally opened his drawer and pulled out a leaf and said, oh, yeah, that's diabetic frozen shoulder. And I was like, I've never heard of that. So anyway, that's, that's yeah. that. Um, it, it ended up kind of going away by itself. I didn't ever do anything other than physiotherapy. Right. Um, then another biggie, and this this one's this one's really interesting because again, with the diabetic community and, and everybody online, 
you start seeing people in their profiles writing some of the other things that they either take or use or do. And I see a lot of people with like a vitamin B12 deficiency. And I see a lot of people with a vitamin D deficiency. And both of those have a connection to what I've been diagnosed with. And that was found out through me breaking bones twice within a year hmm. in separate parts of my body. And so uh, I've got the precursor to osteoporosis. I've got what's called right. osteopenia. Right. And so I take, I take a calcium and vitamin D supplement and I take a vitamin B12 supplement. And last time I went, my bone density scan had improved, which is good. good. And when I look back over my entire life, I have broken a lot of bones. Huh. Okay. Obviously, I've done a lot of things that would involve breaking bones, like playing sport. But right. the fact that is there a propensity to a weakness in bones, possibly sure. with diabetes? So I, I, that's just me anecdotally saying that from my experience mm -hmm. stuff. Don't don't everyone rush down to the doctor to get checked out for that, but just something right. to be aware of, I guess. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. And <laughs> honestly, the only other thing I can think of, and, and again, it's another one that does seem to have a tie-in with, with diabetes, although I don't know that it's a proven thing. I just know that anecdotally, a lot of people that I speak with suffer the same. And that's, we, we call it GERD over here, G-E-R-D. Uh -huh. Yep, we call it the same thing. Yeah. G-O-R-D, but basically gastroesophageal reflux disease. Yep, that's what we call and it. That, that one just seems to pop up with far too many diabetics for it to be, um, you know, a coincidence. But again, just, just something to be aware of. Well, you know, physiologically speaking, so when you're hyperglycemic, your body thinks that there's there's food, and the body's response to food is to increase the acid production in your stomach. Um, of course, there's no food; it's just your body being high. Um, but that that acid has, you know, is is, is being prepared to be absorbed yeah. into the food. But you know, that causes GERD, and you get that burning sensation and all that. Uh, so that may be a, a relationship there. That's always how I've understood it. Um, but it's, it's not a pleasant thing, but fortunately it's manageable um, yeah. you know, uh, with, with the H2 antagonists or the, the PPIs. Personally, I prefer like the Prilosec, you know, Meprazoles and things like that, because uh, that shuts the pump down. I, I don't want to tell it to be quiet. I want it to say, shut up, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, yeah, we, you, we, we do experience that here too. So. And fortunately, so you had mentioned that you were on blood pressure meds and statins early on, yeah. uh, and, and both of the one well, we know the statins will protect the the body from cholesterol um, production, um, and that's going to protect the cardiovascular system from developing clots and uh, all that problem, but it also has some benefit to the kidneys, whereas we also know that the blood pressure meds, and that's for here for the American Diabetes Association, that's the gold standard that every diabetic, um, regardless of, uh, every adult diabetic um, should be on a, um, a blood pressure medication, especially um, most importantly the ACE inhibitor, but they can't tolerate that, the ARBs, um, because it does protect the kidney. Uh, and even yeah. in a very low dose, even if their blood pressure is good, at a low dose, they should be on that ACE inhibitor or ARB. 
Um, and so obviously your kidneys are healthy um, because of that, yeah. of that protection. Um, yeah, I know a lot of doctors, I have retinopathy myself, and you were talking about those high-level lasers. I've had 3,000 in each eye um, on top of a vitrectomy on my left. Oh, my God. Pan-retinal photocoagulation in both. Um, so oh, I've been through the wars then. Uh, and, and I can tell you, the first thing I had was the vitrectomy, and, and the worst thing you can do is go look it up online. Yeah. You do not want to see, because there was a, a gentleman that um, his uh, retinologist allowed him to photograph it. <laughs> it's not something you want to see. <laughs> um, I almost canceled the surgery after that. Um, and my wife's like, no, you need to have it done. You're not going to cancel the surgery. Okay, fine. Um, but... You know, they, they know that I have retinopathy. They're like, well, let's check your kidneys because it's the same circulation. It's microvascular. And yep. generally, if you have retinopathy, you're going to have kidney disease. Um, and surprisingly, and, and over the last 20 years, that's how long it's been, my kidneys are fine. And, and part of that, I think, is because I've been on uh, an ACE inhibitor uh, since 2004. So, um, you yep. know, it's real important that, you, you, that people talk to their docs about that. You know, I talk to patients. Um, they're like, oh, yeah, my doc doesn't have me on an ACE inhibitor. How long have you been diabetic? Ten years. Uh, you need to talk to them. Uh, yeah. And generally they come back and go, yeah, you put me on one low dose. Good. Now we're protecting yeah. your kidneys because that's well, the, and the, the, the thing is, it, it, it's, it's, it's psychologically it's not a great thing because, like I said, when someone tells you're already taking insulin for the rest of your life. And right. when someone comes along and says to you, well, yeah, we want you to start taking this tablet. For the rest of your life, yeah, it, it it doesn't do good with the old upstairs department because it's like, oh no, not another thing. Not another one. But, yeah. but I, that's why I'm here to say today, I'm so thankful that my doctor did do that for me because right, it it has ended up making me I'm I'm sure a lot healthier than I would have been. I might not even be here had I not had those drugs. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we have to take advantage of the medical technology that's developing. You know, we, we haven't come a long way in diabetes, but the the ancillary stuff that, that's helping us survive um, is beneficial. And, um, you know, with the kidneys, you know, the alternative is, okay, get kidney disease, kidney damage, and then dialysis. Um, and that's, you know, you don't want to go that route. Um, so, you know, to, to take those things is, is really beneficial and just do it. Um, and, and they've been around for long enough now that those, well, for you all, it doesn't cost you anything. For those of us in the United States, um, no. you can get a month's worth for $4. So uh, it's you know, a relatively cheap drug because they're so old, um, yeah. you know, which is a good thing, and, and it'll keep you, keep you healthy. So do, any other complications? Um, no, I don't think so. Well, just losing my hair, but I don't think that's diabetic. Uh, you're losing your hair. Well, that, that comes with age, but how is your yeah. thyroid? Because usually diabetic eventually ah. has some thyroid disease. Uh, do you know what? Thank you for reminding me. I forgot. Yeah, I'm hypothyroid as well. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I always forget about that because I just take a levothyroxine tablet every day and it doesn't cause me any trouble. So. Right. Right. And that, you know, surprisingly, that's the one that bothers me the most when they told me, oh, you're, hypo, you're hypothyroid. I'm like, really? I was trying to avoid that one. <laughs> you know, I'll take the other ones, but really, I gotta take thyroid medicine now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been on it for years too. Well, you, you uh, now that you say that though, 
that, that's another thing. That, again, it's anecdotally, but and I don't. But I mean, you get so many type one diabetics that are celiac as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that's um, um, becoming um, more popular uh, in in you know people. And, and uh, my wife, she hasn't been officially diagnosed, but she um, for years has had GI problems and you know bloating and and other yeah. things and. Um, a couple of weeks ago, well, about two months now, actually more than a couple of weeks, she said, I'm, I'm just going to stop the gluten stuff yep. and see if that helps. And within two days of not having any gluten, her symptoms were resolving. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's type two diabetic. Um, and she feels much better. Now she's got the other side of now I can't have all the things that I used to like. If she was a sweets and bakery and, all of that. Now she's got to find alternatives. Um, we're working on that. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, your celiac is, is going up, unfortunately. Um, you know, it's, who knows? I mean, again, that's autoimmune. And, you know, we, we as especially type ones, you know, we're, we're just, you know, a, um, a walking target for autoimmune disorders. Yeah. So, you know, that's yeah. a, that that's the downside of having an autoimmune disorder. At least at least they recognize that type one is autoimmune now. Um, you know they they've put it into a classification, thankfully. Yeah. Um, so, well, you have complications, but it doesn't sound like your complications are too tremendous, and that's a good thing. You know you you've, you've um, done well in preventing well, the yeah, big. Yeah, I, I I would agree. I would agree with you to a point, but. Again, the the biggest single thing to do with being type one diabetic is the head and the, the mental side. And sure. so, so if, if you put it in that perspective, then having the complications has bothered me mentally. No, the, mostly they're not bothering me physically. You know, I, I still can drive. Right. Um, you know, I can still make a fist, and you know, my hands are fairly yeah. flexible. I do get a lot of pain in my hands. But um, but no, generally speaking, um, I'd say I'm doing pretty well after 49 years. And sure. I, the, like I said, the biggest the biggest battle is, is with my head. Um, right. Yeah, and that that happens to all of us. You know, you just that you want a day off sometimes, or a week off, or Absolutely. or you, even even one meal off where you don't have to actually think about what you're doing. Well, and that's it. I mean, we, we do have the freedom to really eat what we want, especially if you're in a pump, you know, pump and CGM, boy, you, the world is your oyster, literally. But you still have to think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and with me, so I have um, insulin resistance. Um, and when I sit down to eat something that is high carb, I will stop sometimes and go, I don't want to use that much insulin. Because, you know, it's in the reservoir, that means I'm going to have to change the pump sooner. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I will say, nope, I, I wanted that, but I also want to maintain the insulin in my pump a lot longer. Um, so, and you know, that, that, that is frustrating uh, as well. You know, so do you or did you ever um, seek mental health? Did you ever get in that line and finally get an appointment? Yeah, um, I was re this was the most fortunate Again, another game changer in my whole life. Um, one of the things I had to do to get a pump over here was I had to attend um, sessions with my diabetic nurse to prove mm -hmm. 
that I knew what I was doing. And I also then got sent to a dietitian to prove that I could carb count accurately. And so I went for my first dietitian appointment. And I, I don't know about you, but I mean, but for me, I, I wear my, I wear, I wear my diabetes on my sleeve, so to speak. Uh-huh. It, it's a very, it can be a very, very emotional subject with me. And sat down with this dietitian, and lit- literally, I don't know what she even asked me, but I just started crying because it just, it, it just made. It's almost like when somebody that asked something in a caring manner to you and you felt so so alone for so long with just you and right. somebody shows to care about you the, the floodgates opened and what i didn't know at the time was um this particular lady is one of only i think three in the entire uk that is not only a dietitian but she's a fully fledged um psychologist as well oh. Oh, and okay. oh yeah, she she's she's amazing. And so with that, separate to going for the pump, um, she asked me if I would like to join uh, a group, a therapy group for diabetics. And I jumped at chance. Um, I had just retired, and so I had the time to go and do it. And I ended up doing it for four and a half years. Oh, wow. Uh, So that was from 2014 to 2019. And yeah, that that helped a lot. I mean, it gave gave a chance to talk about things that are very personal, you know, and quite deeply embedded about my diabetes and and insecurities and, um, you know, feeling as though I'm, I'm not worthy and uh, and about how it altered my whole like life path, if that makes sense. Uh, right, right. Absolutely. I didn't. I didn't go to university because I was too afraid to leave home. Okay. I had a mother looking after me, and <laughs> and I well, yeah, I know, but I mean, I wasn't going to go out in the big bad world. Sure. And I have to try and look after myself when I was eighteen. Right. It just it was too scary. So. That's one thing that I suppose altered my life path, if that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't look back on it with regret. I'm just saying that that at the time sure. was, but you know that's it, not it, it that's not a thing. Your decision. So, yes. yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow, that that's pretty cool. Psychologist and a dietitian. I have to tell my dietitian she needs to go back and get her degree in psychology. <laughs> yeah. So because we we I I work on a um an Indian reservation in New Mexico and. Um, we actually have a psychologist who is um, specializing in diabetes distress. Yeah. That's her focus. And, and I was so delighted to hear that. I'd been there two years and just found out that she had been there two years. Nobody told me the guy who runs the diabetes prevention program. I just found out that she was there. Um, yeah. and, and we've interviewed her on our, our Pueblo podcast. Um, but that, that's such a big thing, too, diabetes distress, because, you know, it's, it's not full-fledged depression because we cycle through it. Um, yeah. and, uh, but it, it is something that does negatively impact how we manage our, our day-to-day stuff. Um, Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, 
again, looking back over the entire 49 years, um, one of the things that has affected it, it's, it's not so bad now anymore because I've recognized what's going on. Okay. And that is, um, it's this phenomenon of the new year. So, you know, you know, when you get to Christmas and then it's the new year, and immediately January 1st is when all the diet people come out, all the, the, the detox people, all the people are like, change your life. Now's the time, lose weight, do whatever it is. It's like, now's the time to do it. It's a new year. It's a new start. Well, I would find myself every single year going really low and feeling really bad. And, and it finally dawned on me, you know what? It's because I'm, I'm getting this shoved down my throat from the media, the television, yeah. all the people I work with, every, everybody. And yet here's me. I still have to do all the stuff I have to do. I, I can't have those changes that, you, right. you know, it's like, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to detox. Well, no, I, I still got to take my insulin, you know, five times a day and I still got to test my blood eight times a day and I still I still got to do all the things I've been doing so I couldn't buy into that kind of stuff and that would make me feel bad about myself and I would yeah. kind of go downhill for a couple of months in January and February every year that used to happen so yeah it, 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 it we get attacked by it and you know the sad thing is is there's no there's no um motivation on those people that are putting that information out there to actually help people. Their motivation is to help their bank accounts because they know yeah. people are going to fail. They're going to give up. Um, and, you know, whereas, you know, yes, we know we need to make those changes, but we can do it now. We can do it in June. We can, you know, we make those decisions. And, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I, one of the reasons I've stopped watching television and listening to radio and all that is just I don't need the media, the media input for anything. You know, I choose yeah. what I watch now, um, you know, and then I watch, and then now even Instagram, you know, Zuckerberg has thrown in ads and sponsored things, and I liked it better without that. Um, yeah. you know, it's better when I was looking at real people, and, you know, and, and again, that's how I found you, and I'm, I'm trying to sit here trying to think, well, when did I find you through what person, um, and I think it might have been it was a little girl in Ireland. Oh, gosh. And uh, I think she followed you, and I, I saw your your thing. She had a really good – she's not online. She pulled back – I think she went to university, and then life got busy. Um, but she was on a Libre, and, you know, um, it was a big deal because the Irish government picked up the Libre on their NHS, and, you know, she, yeah. she was really thrilled with that. But I think that's how I found you. And, uh, you know, like, this is a really cool guy. Um, kind of, you know, you're, you're in my age bracket and, you know, you've had it for the same amount of time roughly. And, you know, yeah. it, you don't run across people that have had it for 40 plus years. No. Um, you know, we see, there are a few of us. There, there are, you know, there's a lot of us actually, but on social media, you don't yeah. see it. Um, you know, and not that I spend a lot of time on social media more than I should, but, um, you know, I, I see a lot of younger people, you know, um, since we're talking about social media, tell me about your advocacy. You know, obviously we talked and you said you, you do obviously more than so more than uh, Instagram. So tell me what other outlets you are participating in. Okay. Um, I, in addition to doing Instagram, I, I also run a WhatsApp support group for type one okay. diabetics. And 
that's been very successful. That that actually started as a result of the very first lockdown we had with COVID. Okay. So I felt that um, there might be people that would need benefit of, you know, having people close at hand they could just talk to and rant, basically. Back in those days, you know, diabetics weren't really getting a very good um, amount of support in terms of the fact that we are more vulnerable Right. possible things with COVID and, and as we get older as well. So that was one thing. Um, in addition to that, for the last nearly four years now, I've been a patient representative on, uh, effectively, I, I don't know how exactly your healthcare system works in terms of, I'll, I'll give you an example. So for example, you probably just go to your endocrinologist in a doctor's office, whereas here, we go to our general practitioner for everything but our diabetes. And our diabetes, we go to a hospital, an actual, that's where our, all of our care is done. So it's specialist. And um, we live in what they call a university health board. And that covers everything to do with the NHS. But the hospitals are, are the focus for diabetes. So I sit as a, a patient representative on my local university health board. Okay. And there's, there's three hospitals in that health board and it covers the whole of North Wales. Um, and so basically every two months I sit, I it used to be in person. Now it's on zoom. Right. Um, I sit in a meeting for two, two and a half hours and try to put in my input on how they can improve care for us. And, you know, it, wow. and it's so frustrating because the system moves like a, you know, moves like a super tanker trying to change direction. It's so slow, but right. the thing is you keep putting the pressure on and, you know, and hopefully things do change and they are changing and, you know, for the better, but like I said, it's very, very slow moving ship. That. And then I also sit again, same, same thing, a patient representative, but for the whole of Wales. So not just the university health board, but for all seven health boards. And we, we as a group there, we have a direct line into um, Welsh government. And again, it's the same thing. That, that, one, that one's a little bit more, that one's a little bit faster because we seem to have enough clout to be able to make them do things so right. um initiatives and you know for example one of the latest things that's happening and it, it, this is a scandal as well but we're all getting older and some of us are going to end up in uh care homes and how do we know that the care in a care home for a diabetic is going to be good because they won't have come across many of us living that long to be in care homes in the past so all of a sudden, they're going to have to be trained on how to administer insulin, how to test blood sugars, how to deal with hypos, you know, um, uh, making sure that all the pills get taken at the right times of day, making sure insulin's taken before meals, all the kinds of things that we take for granted and just do. Right. Traditionally, care homes wouldn't have been looking after something as serious as that right. on a day-by-day -day basis, but... You know we're living longer now, so yeah. 
So, so we're addressing that and putting initiatives into place to get all staff trained in all the care homes. So just little things like that. So. Well, those little things make a big difference. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. One, it's self-serving for you because unfortunately we're getting older. Um, I know. But, you know, you, you're also looking out for those folks that are entering into care now and yep. um, hopefully getting them taken care of as well. Yep. So we, we, another thing that we, we're very involved with is um, in the UK, we have a, a very, uh, a very varied population in terms of ethnicity. Right. And so um, to be much more inclusive, we've got a complete section within the group that is pushing for multi-language um, information leaflets, things like that. So that, so that, you know, communities that maybe English isn't their first language, um, that they aren't excluded from the kind of help and support huh? they need as diabetics. Right. That's right. more than do with type two because we're mainly talking older people, right. generally. But but yeah. but again, it, it, and that's that's been really successful. Well, that's great. So, do you yeah. um, interact or or um, communicate with the British Diabetes Association? Are they part of that you know process? Um, well, our British Diabetes Association is called Diabetes UK. Okay. Okay, and um, not only that, they're a charity, but right. Um, Yes, directly. They have members from the charity that sit as part of the both groups. Okay. So, yeah. So, we constantly are in communication about things like that. And, uh, like, one of the latest things, and they're very good at promoting things. So, one of the things that stopped happening recently because of COVID was um, urine testing for, um, like, the beginnings of kidney disease. Right. Can't, can't, what do they call it? Um, come on, you're the medical guy. So for microal? Microalbumin. Albumin. Yeah, right. So, so we've been really pushing to get that done. And Diabetes UK have been fantastic. They've been bombarding everybody about that. GP doctors, wow. you know, specialists. So and, and when they put their power behind something, it really does help because they've got the contacts in all right. surgeries that they can, you know, start right. pushing. So yeah, I, 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 it's, it's very fulfilling. I do, I do enjoy what I get up to. Well, that's great. You, they, they certainly couldn't have a better, a better voice uh, sitting on their boards. Um, you know, I don't think we have enough over here. I don't think we have enough um, patient involvement um, on, on boards and, and, and decision-making groups. You know, it's, it's unfortunately it's we're the docs and or we're the CEOs and we're going to make the decision because it's all about the bottom line and not yeah. about the individual. Uh, and you know, for for whatever chronic illness or disease, you know, you need to have representatives um, telling you what it's actually like. Yeah. Um, you know, that's uh, I'm 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 pleased to hear you say that you're in those boards and, and putting a voice and a face to the person that has diabetes. Um, so let me ask you this. Just it's one of the, one of my kind of personal questions that I ask people: Are you a diabetic or are you a person with diabetes? I don't care. So. Um, that one's never bothered me. I've been I, I've been here. We go. I've been a type one diabetic for too many years to worry about that. Um, right. Right. 
Well, the, the ADA push, I forget when, it was probably 20, 25 years ago, you know, when political correctness was coming yeah. out. And, you know, the ADA was pushing their were or the American Diabetes Association, not the Americans with Disabilities, um, even though we are listed under the Americans with Disabilities also. Um, you know, it's you're not a diabetic because it doesn't define you. Yeah. Well, it does define me. Like you said, you didn't go to, to university because you didn't want to change what you were doing. Um, and who knows, you know, obviously you survived, but who knows where that road would have taken you. And so diabetes does, being a diabetic, defined what, you were doing, um, and so I, I, I still use, I will use the term person with diabetes because I understand today's generation doesn't want to be identified as a diabetic. But um, to me, I'm a diabetic. Yeah, it is who and what I am. What I've done in my life was around being diabetic, having diabetes. I wasn't just a person with diabetes. Well, everything I did huge, was diabetic. It's such a huge part of our lives. Right. And as as we live longer, you know, it was one thing, you know, I was diagnosed at 12. Um, so at 14, yeah, it was only two years of my life. But now it's been 41 years that's, yeah. that I, I've been a person with diabetes longer than I was a person without diabetes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I tend to identify with being diabetic. So do you have any other outlets for advocacy? Um, I, 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 not, 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 I wouldn't say really because I, I, I'm on Facebook, but I, I don't find it quite as friendly. Right. Um, you, you get a lot of people wanting to argue with you about, you know, or, or you get people that have been diagnosed for six months telling you that the only way is to eat, you know, ultra low carb diet because they've been doing it for six months and it works. And it's like, well, right. what works for you might not work for someone else. We all have different lifestyles. Yeah. You know, we're, we're different. We're individuals. And so I, I do go on Facebook a bit, but I tend not, I don't really get active on it. And same thing with Twitter. I, I, I almost don't understand Twitter because I always think whenever I, whenever I tweet something, I'm not telling anybody. I'm just putting it out there, and it, no one's no one hears it unless somebody picks it up and reads it. So, right. yeah. So I, I, I stay away from that. But but within yeah. the Instagram world, I'm very active, and and that's behind the scenes. So, like I said, if if a brand new person comes on to Instagram, and I happen across their page. I immediately will say, you know, welcome to the type one diabetes community on Instagram. Right. And from that, you might get the odd person messages you and says, oh, you know, thank you so much for saying that. Um, yeah. I've got a bit of an issue with something. Could you help? And we're off to the races. And so I, um, I've ended up now, I, I speak to people in probably at least 30, 40 different countries. Wow. And on a really regular basis as well. Um, you know, I don't, I don't just mean once a week. I mean, I talk to probably five, 10, 15 people every day, sure. different, different people. And a lot, a lot of them are newly diagnosed. And a lot of them, it's a matter of what you, I think you said that at the beginning about putting links up. Well, that's one of the things that I try to do. So if, if somebody comes along 
and they don't know about something, I will find them the links to what, you know, so if they want, if they want to know about carb counting, right. I can send them towards an online carb counting course, or sure. if they want, um, you know, information on site rotation for their injections, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I've got, I've got grids here in the house because I'm like an advocate for, I don't know if you've heard of the company BD, Beth and Dickinson. Yeah, 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 we, we yeah. have them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, BD, well, yeah, they're American, yeah, right. BD. Um, I'm an advocate for them, so whenever anyone gets in touch about that, I've got a contact now at BD who will send out a, a full pack on everything to do with site rotation, and that's just by, you know, being at the forefront of it, by posting about it, and then they came on and said, oh, wow, God, you're really strong on this, you know, would, would you like to be an advocate? for us and we'll do all of the legwork for you so all i do now is just send an email and boom they, they do all the sending out for me so wow that's nice i i didn't know that they did that and you know i have connections that i don't know if they do in the united states but yeah probably not given the united states um <laughs> but they, oh, yeah. they have nice new patient kits i mean i have ordered them yeah. for my patients they have nice new patient kits and um, yeah i really like with, that with all that the grids and, and different size needles and, yep. and full information on how to inject them, yeah, you know, which right. is super. I mean, right. so I do that. Um, I've recently teamed up with Omnipod okay. here, in, here in the UK. Nice. And so next year might be seeing my face featured once in a while. Awesome. You know, you know the, old, the old bloke wearing an Omnipod. <laughs> and um, I was featured, I was really surprised um, a couple of days ago, um, about three months ago, Omnipod in the U.S. got in touch with me. Really? And, and, and all, they, all they said to me was, would I be willing to sign a form that would allow them to use a picture of mine from my feed? So I was like, yeah, okay, no worries. And I thought that was the end of that because I don't often take pictures of myself wearing my Omnipod in what, what they call places you're allowed to wear them. Right. Um, right. So I didn't think anything would happen of it. A couple of days ago, boom, there I am. Uh, I, I've been, I'm on the Omnipod US site as well. So. Nice. Well, yeah. that's pretty really cool. Yeah, yeah I was quite, I was really pleased with that. Very cool. Yeah, yeah when yeah. we talked about it, yeah, I don't, I don't wear my Omnipod in the, the, um, Acceptable Official places. places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they say, well, anywhere that you could give insulin, you can wear an Omnipod. Well, I've given my insulin in some pretty strange places. <laughs> so, um, <you> know, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I wear it on my chest and so, along with my uh, along with my Libra. Um, we, we talked about that, you know, how, how door jams jump out and grab those things. Um, they can't get to my chest. If they do, I've probably been doing something I shouldn't have been doing. So, um but yeah, they, they, they come off on your arm. <laughs> so, um, so you, you talked about looking for the new diabetics. And I found that on Instagram, there's one of two types of people, either people that have had diabetes for however long, even, you know, short times, and they want to document their journey or they're new diabetics and they're looking for their tribe, um, which you and I both have done. We, we found our tribes there. Um, but tell me about leveling up. Uh oh, I think I lost your phone. Um, 
Oh, there you are. Okay. Oh, you froze. You froze up there for a second. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So leveling up. Right. Well, um, not long after I joined Instagram. and looking for new people to follow. I came across this lovely lady from Australia called Justine, and I started following her. And it wasn't long after that she put a post up about how we celebrate our, our diversity. Because when we think about it, the diversity, I mean, because it wasn't exactly happy time in our lives, you know, having our world turned upside down. Right. So her idea, and she, you know, wrote about it very eloquently, was that we shouldn't look at, at the bad side. We should look at how strong we have become in yet another year of living with diabetes and, right. and, and, and how that is what we should be celebrating. The fact that we have made another year of battling this chronic con condition. And so what she said was, we should celebrate the fact that that year has been gained and move up a level. So after five, you know, one year, and I thought, what a wonderful, wonderful, positive, affirmative way to look at this because yeah, it's not a lot of fun a lot of the time, Right. But it, it's a way to celebrate an achievement that we have made another year. So I kind of adopted it, and I specifically asked her permission if she would allow me to start using it wherever I could. And she said that would be fabulous, and it's becoming more and more and more widespread. I make sure that I, I um, tell everybody that I come across that's had a diversity, you know, happy diversity and welcome to level, whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I, I'm seeing it more and more on people's profiles. Right. It's quite exciting. It is. Don't, and I, it it speaks to what we're doing. Yeah. I, I, you don't have to celebrate by having cake. It, it's, it's not about that kind of a celebration. It can right. be just, it can be a quiet moment of reflection personally to yourself. That you just sit and say, you know, wow, I am, I am a superhuman because I have been my pancreas for the last year. Right, right, right. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, it does speak to what what that that occasion is, and you know, we won, we won this last year, and, and now we're going to keep fighting. Um, yep. So very cool. I'm, I'm glad uh, she gave you permission to use it, and I'm glad that you uh, you reach out to folks and. And welcome to the next level. Um, Absolutely. So it, it wouldn't be a diabetes podcast if we didn't talk about food. And this is uh, going to be the last thing we talk about. Um, okay. So um, you were the person that introduced me to double boiled pasta or pasta, as you say. Um, right. Tell me, tell me about that and the benefits and, and um, you know, cause I, I do enjoy a good spaghetti. <laughs> okay, here we go. So a few years ago, um, in, uh, we, we, we've got a, we've got a, a BBC channel here, which is British Broadcasting Corporation, and they do, they do a lot of good work in terms of documentaries 
and there's a TV show over here that's on BBC called Trust Me, I'm a Doctor. Okay. And in that, they basically will go through some sort of a subject and prove or disprove maybe the myths surrounding it. And on this particular episode, what they had done was they had taken a group of type 2 diabetics and they had done an experiment where they had three groups and group one ate pasta and then the next day they ate pasta again and they tested their blood sugars over the four hours following eating and three okay uh-huh. group two ate pasta and then group two on the second day ate pasta twice cooked or cooked and then fully cooled like cooled in the fridge uh-huh. and then reheated and tested all their blood sugars and then group three ate pasta that had been twice cooked on the first day and on the second day okay so that so they had the control of the three different scenarios and what they found was that the third group their blood sugars spiked the very least and significantly and so with that obviously that got put out as an episode and it it was a big buzz over here in the UK when it happened Um, obviously it didn't really reach the states maybe so much and I'm always trying to think of ways that I can talk about things slightly differently. And all, all of a sudden, one day, I was doing my past. I thought, oh, God, I've, I've never actually spoken about this subject on the Instagram before. So, boom, there it was. I put a post out saying, you know, double cook your pasta and see if it helps reduce your spike. And most people that I have spoken to anecdotally afterwards have said, yeah, it does. Can't say 100%, but most, yeah. Right. right. And, and we're all different. Our bodies are reacting differently. But in Absolutely, general, yeah. if it reduces the carbohydrate content of the, of the pasta, then why not try it? So tell me, how, how do you do your double cook? Right. Okay. Well, literally, just boil it as normal. Um, right. Fridge or freezer to get it totally cold come back out and then you save a bit of the pasta water from first cooking and then literally put it into the same pan a bit of the pasta water not a lot but enough just to coat the pasta and then a bit of butter and a bit of olive oil and that olive oil butter water combination with the the starch left from the first cooking of the pasta that will form an emulsion, right? And if you're not putting anything else on it but Parmesan cheese, fair enough. But once it's reheated, then it just becomes any pasta. Like, you know, if you're putting a a spaghetti ragu sauce over it or meatballs, whatever you're putting with it, then it's just as normal. Um, And what what apparently what it actually does is it changes more of the pasta into um, fiber. Uh-huh. which is the actual chemical reaction, I believe, that it's happening. I'm not a scientist, so I don't really know about that. But, but you play one on a podcast, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yeah, um, 
hopefully our, our folks will try that and see what they think, uh, see if it makes a difference to them. I'll just say as well, it, the technique also works with rice. Okay. So uh, if you think, you know, like long grain or basmati rice, do the same thing. So I do that now. I, I always cool my rice before. Because okay. um, nor normally with rice, um, if, if I'm serving it with a curry, it just it's just reheating it in the microwave. Right. Or if I'm if I'm making a Chinese dish, usually it'll be stir fried, so it just goes in as cold rice into the pan, the stir fried pan. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool because I like a good rice too. So uh, <laughs> you know, that, those, those are the the two downfalls for people with diabetes is you know pasta and rice. It can be. Yeah. The serving size is so small on those things anyway. You know, you got to do the what you can to to get the most benefit out of it. Um, and then then the other thing that goes along with this, and again, we're not doctors, so we're not telling people to do this. Right. Certainly, if you've got queries on this one, do talk to your team. Right. But for me, I still take the same amount of insulin, so I don't reduce my insulin okay. because there's there's the same amount of so-called carbs in the portion. It's just that they react differently. So right, right. what tends to happen is you see more of a gradual spike in it, and it doesn't shoot straight up, and it sure. tends to stay level. And, and that's really what we're trying to to attain. Absolutely, is that gradual and not that spike? Is that that's the worst thing? That spike yeah. is that you're playing catch up, and very cool. Well, do you have anything um, to add? Anything that we we didn't touch on that you'd like folks to know about? And, uh, uh, not particularly, other than just to say I'm, I am on Instagram and I'm, my handle is type1d.paul underscore diagonfather. Diagonfather, okay. Uh, I will put that in the show notes. And if you would um, shoot me an email with any of the, the hashtags that you would like uh, folks to look up or include in their Instagrams and uh, any links that you'd like people to take a look at um, I'll put them in the show notes and um, get them passed on and you you might get some new followers um, from uh, from the podcast I hope um, we do have um, some folks in the UK listening to us and Australia as well uh, and Germany we have people in Germany too <laughs> um, so um, we're hoping to um, expand uh, our listenership and uh, like I said in the beginning I, I really wanted to get you on and I'm so glad we can make this happen and um we'll have you on again because this was a lot of fun and we'll see what's going on with you and and what's changed in the uk and um and uh, just have a have a chat so yeah. i have taken enough of your evening i do appreciate you carving out this block of time for us and uh, we we're having um american thanksgiving this week and uh, yes, I, I just want to say thank you for for being a friend and and being on the other end, and um, that's what it's all about. Whether it's not a national thing, it's about being thankful for those that we have in our lives, the things that have have um, impacted us. And um, diabetes has certainly changed both of our lives, and uh, it's also brought a lot of us together. So absolutely, um, that's, that's fantastic. With that. Uh, Thank you for being on, and uh, I'll talk to you again. Thank you, Tim. Great. Cheers. Take care, Paul. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.